Shapers on Jazz FM. Listen in color. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. That was Amortella from Snarky Puppy featuring Magda Giannuku. Good morning. This is me, Elliot Moss, on Jazz FM's Jazz Shapers. Jazz Shapers is the place where you can hear the very best of the people who are shaping the world of jazz, blues and soul, alongside their equivalents in the world of business, a business shaper. I have a huge, amazing and big and famous business shaper today, I'm pleased to say. He is Neil Woodford, the joint founder of Woodford Investment Management. They are the investment management business. You will have heard of them, I'm absolutely sure. They've got just under £13 billion under management. Lots coming up from Neil very shortly. In addition to hearing from Neil, you'll be hearing from our programme partners at Mishkondorea. Some words of advice for your business. And as well as all of that, of course, I promise you some great music from the shapers of jazz, blues and soul, including Madeleine Peru, James Brown and this from Robert Cray. I was fine yesterday What made you think that you could do that? Sun was shining. That was fine yesterday from Robert Cray Band. In fact, someone uh, in the with me today, Neil Woodford, is a bit of a fan of the Robert Cray Band. I'm sure you'll be telling me why you like him in a bit. So, Neil Woodford, my business shaper today, thank you so much for joining me. £13 billion under management, as we said. You created this fund, I think it was July 2014. You've been working for Invesco Perpetual for 30 years or so. What made you make the move? It's quite a long time to work for the same people and then suddenly go, you know what? I want my name above the door. Yeah, it's... it sounds like a plan, doesn't it, that I, I had spent all this time working for for one business and then decided that I would uh, jump ship and set up my own business. And it sort of, it wasn't really a plan. It was it was the product of uh, a number of chance events, really. Um, <clears throat> the most important of which was that my partner, who I had known at Invesco, who'd worked with me at Invesco for quite a long time, had left Invesco and... Uh, he and I shared a lot. We had a sort of common vision, if you like, about how, how fund, management, fund management business should behave and how they should be structured and what they should look like. And, you know, I mean, it's all sounds, it all sounds very academic, really, but it was quite important because we were working in a large organisation, part of which was, was the product of legacy. We were frustrated about some elements of that business. And I think we we had a vision about what, a fund management business that was made to measure for the 21st century mm. would look like. Anyway, so it was all academic until he left. And then when he left, for me, that was the sort of trigger moment that made me think, well, hang on a second. Uh, there's somebody I could go into business with. He could handle the bit that I can't do. I can do the fund management bit. He could do the other bit. And maybe together we could be successful. And that, it was a sort of, that was how it all started, really. 
Now, you did, I believe, an agriculture and economics degree, yeah. yes, way, way back when. Yeah. Look at me going, yeah, that was a long time ago. It was. it was a long time ago. When did you become clear that you were going to the kind of the world of money? Because I know you had a couple of jobs before Invesco, but was there a plan? You talked about, you know, it was, there wasn't really a plan when it came to leaving and all that. But way back when, what, what turned you on about the world of work? What was it that you were looking for as you first started working? <laughs> well, again, I, uh, my life sounds, sounds like a series of sort of chance events, but there was no plan. I mean, I, I, I studied economics at university. It wasn't a terribly good course. It wasn't that well taught. And I, lended, I ended up leaving university not really knowing how the world worked. Certainly, I could tell you about sort of micro and macroeconomics and, and about Pareto optimality, but I couldn't have told you anything about the city or, you know, how monetary policy worked or anything like that. So anyway... I had no idea what I was going to do when I left university. I graduated in 1981. It was a pretty nasty recession. There were no jobs for graduates unless you wanted to be an accountant. I knew I didn't want to be an accountant. And uh, I sort of ended up again by chance in the city. I happened to, I had nowhere to, to stay, really, I had no money. Uh, and I kept on my brother's floor. He, he, my brother had a job in the city, he had a clerical job working uh, in the city. And I, and I kept on his floor for a while. And that's how I first got to know what the city was and where it was. And I got a pretty mundane job to start with in the city just to earn a bit of cash. And that's how I that's how my my sort of career started in the city It was purely by chance. Again, not by design. I didn't really know what the city was. Stay with me for more about the the man who is sort of saying he's full of chance. I don't believe him. We're going to we're going to get to the bottom of this very shortly. It's Neil Woodford, my business shaper today. Time for some music. This is Madeline Peru with Changing All Those Changes. sound of Madeline Peru with changing all those changes. I'm with Neil Woodford today. Um, he's the joint founder of Woodford Investment Management. They've got just under £13 billion under management. Sounds a hell of a lot of money. And for the man who was kipping on his uh, brother's floor and kind of, as you said, it was a bit of chance that got me into the world of the city, unimaginable that you would have ended up here. I mean, in your wildest dreams, do you think, yeah, I'm going to be the guy that's looking after a lot of people's money, a lot of institutional money? At that point then, what was... What was success like? What did it look like for you way, way, way back when you were kipping on your brother's floor? This, again, nothing by design. I, 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 I didn't really know what I was going to do. Um, I didn't really know much about fund management. Um, I found my way into fund management again by chance. I started off in a terribly... Well, in, in a, a terrible clerical job, I was doing something that the guy who employed me, he said, he said um, a few years ago, he said we would have employed people who, who've got CSEs to do this job. But now we can employ people, uh, graduates, because the job market was so poor at the time. Anyway, it sort of really deflated me. I thought, I can't be doing this anyway. So I jacked that in and looked for something else to do and found a job as an assistant to a fund manager. And I didn't really know what an assistant to a fund manager was, but it sounded a lot more interesting than what I was doing. Anyway... That was my start. That was my lucky break in fund management. Uh, the, the fund manager at the time was a guy called Bill Seddon. I think he still is managing money uh, today. Um, he was a, a sort of very generalist sort of fund manager working for a small insurance company. And I got to know a little bit about the industry working for him. Mm. And 
I really liked it. I sort of it interested me. It was, uh, and that's when I, you know, that was the the sort of my my apprenticeship really was all about learning about the industry and learning about how the economy really worked and about businesses and how they were valued, how they performed. You know, all, all that stuff was all really what I learned on the job. I didn't know anything about it before I started working in in that job. You very humbly said it was a lucky break. What do you think they saw in the young Neil Woodford? Not that you're still, you're not young anymore, Neil, of course. But what it, what did they see right then, way back in your 20s? What do you think they hooked on to? I think I was just enthusiastic. I was numerate. I, I, I think I could communicate reasonably well. Uh, it was a pretty lowly paid junior role, so it wasn't a, a, a big job. But I think they saw somebody with enthusiasm who who had the capability to, to do a decent job. And and I think what I learned pretty early on in in, the, in after that taking that job was that this was a career I wanted to do. This was something that really interested me. I didn't know then that I'd be any good at it, but I just sort of thought, well, this is what I like doing. Uh, and I pretty much knew that if I was going to develop my career, I needed to to sort of move on. I couldn't really stay in the same place for too long. Um, to get more responsibility, really. And and that's what I did in the first four or five years of my career. I, I moved jobs relatively frequently to get more responsibility and to learn more. Stay with me for more insight from my business shape today. That's Neil Woodford. Latest travel in a couple of minutes. And before that, some words of wisdom from our programme partners at Mishkondorea for your business. Hi, my name's Nadim Mir and I'm a partner at Mishkondorea in the private equity team. A key thing to be thinking about if you are looking to raise funds is, given that it is maybe less difficult than it used to be to raise the money, if you do have a good growth story, then actually you are in a pretty good position to maybe be a bit more choosy as to who you partner with. Um, And I think a key thing to remember is that when you go into this relationship with an investor or group of investors, you do need to see it as very much like a relationship it is effectively a marriage of sorts and obviously we know the best sorts of marriages tend to be the ones where both sides uh, go in with their eyes open um, and they're both supportive parties to uh, to the marriage um, and where people think they can work well together so it's not necessarily about the party that's going to leave you with the most equity or the one with the biggest checkbook it's about the party who you are going to get on well with, work well with, and hopefully, say, live happily ever after with. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM, in partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. You're listening to Jazz Shapers here on Jazz FM. Every Saturday morning, I get very lucky. I get the chance to talk to somebody shaping the world of business. If you've missed any of the previous shows, and there are quite a few of them now, then iTunes is your destination. Or if you happen to be travelling in the near future and you're on British Airways, then lucky you. My business shaper today is Neil Woodford, and he is the joint founder of Woodford Investment Management. They set up a shop about just under over a year ago and very quickly invited and enticed lots of people to say, you know what, I'd like you to look after my money. Way back when, Neil, when you joined Invesco in 1988, and as we said earlier, you stayed there for 30 years or so, or just under, what was it about that place that, that made you want to make it home? 
because it was home for a long time for yeah. you. Yeah. When I first joined, it was a very different business. It was a small business, a small farm management business, uh, running a pretty small amount of money based in Henley-on-Thames. It was a you know a very unconventional sort of farm management business. At that point, pretty much everybody who was managing money was either in London or Edinburgh. Um, so a tiny little farm management business in Henley was quite unusual. But I was attracted to it because it was a bit of an upstart. Uh, I'd done an acquisition assessment, weirdly, of Perpetual when I'd worked in my previous job. Um, so I'd, I knew quite a lot about the company and liked what it stood for. Uh, and the thing that really attracted me was was that I, I, by that time, I, I think I was beginning to believe that I could be a half-decent fund manager. And I knew that I wanted to go somewhere that enabled fund managers to express their talent. And I certainly didn't want to work in, a, in an environment where you were running money by, via a committee. So... And, and Perpetual was somewhere where I Perpetual was the the, the, the business that I joined it was a business that allowed for managers to express their talent in the portfolios that they were running, and that's what attracted me. Also, I, I I'd had enough of the city by then, and I, I wanted to get out of the city, um, but I wanted to stay in for management, and and it was a great opportunity for me uh, at Perpetual. Now you've mentioned you know you, you turned out to be quite a, a half decent fund manager. Of course, anyone who knows you and the results are you know again you're being incredibly humble. Outstrip the market on most metrics that one might want to look at. What does make you good at what you do, Neil? As you look at it, and I know it's hard because it's you that I'm talking about, and you're the one who's now deciding whether you're good at it or not. But what are the two or three characteristics, not just of you, but of the people you look to to bring into your team? What are those sorts of things that you go? You know what? That's what makes a good fund manager. Um, there are there are quite a few answers to that question. I mean, I think there are there are aspects that the, the, there are important aspects that, that I look for in in terms of how somebody approaches the job. So, uh, so based on yeah, I, th- I think a fund management approach approach based on fundamentals. You know, being really sort of delving into the detail, getting into the weeds of a business and understanding the valuation of the business is, is really, really important. And and too often that gets ignored. Um, so the fundamentals of the economy and the businesses that we're investing in, are, to me, are really, really important. And I want to see that interest, if you like, uh, in, in the people that I hire to work with me. Um, and then I think also... The, the, other other characteristics are I've, I've talked about a balance between humility and arrogance. Um, yeah, good fund managers, I think, have those two sides of their personality, their investment personality, in in sort of equilibrium. If you get too arrogant, if you believe that you're right about everything and you're not prepared to question your own judgment, I think you're 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 on a you're on a dangerous path, uh, and you're going to make some pretty serious mistakes. But uh, but if you're too humble, if you if you don't believe in in if you're not com- if you don't have any conviction, then equally you'll you won't have a portfolio that, that expresses your views. You'll you'll be a sort of closet index manager. So I think the two have to be in balance. You have to have enough humility to question your own judgment, but you have to have enough confidence in your judgment to to, to back yourself uh, when the ships are down. And and I think that that that's worked for me uh, through my career. And I was going to say, I mean, consistently you've delivered above and beyond what the market might have expected, and there can't be many winners in markets because of the nature of the market. But you, would you say, would your team say, yeah, Neil, who, regardless of the name, and he has his name above the door, and he's the only person who's alive who's got his name on a, on a Master 10, fund uh, in the UK would they say yeah he listens to me yeah I think they would yeah yeah I I, I, I think um, you know I, what I, I've surrounded myself with good people I think yeah, throughout my career um, 
Uh, and I've been very fortunate to be able to do that again at Woodford. We've, I've been able to attract some some great talent to to uh, to the business, and I think my ability to deliver good outcomes for, for for investors is a product of my own judgment. But but that judgment is massively informed by the people who who I've surrounded myself with, both that I that I employ and the people that I talk to, and have a good relationship with. You know that that are employed by other organisations in the city and, and in my industry. Make sure you're balancing humility with arrogance. Whatever you are doing, good words of advice. Time for some music right now. Though. This is Mr. James Brown and a Night Train. All aboard for Night Train. That was Night Train from James Brown. Neil, you, you talked a little bit about the characteristics of what you think makes a good fund manager. You've now set up your own business, as we said. It can't be easy doing that, especially when you've been inside of a corporate for so long, however much that corporate may have changed and things aren't to your liking and so on and so forth. In terms of handling the obstacles, in terms of getting through the hard times and, and when you're someone who's high profile, there are going to be things like that. What have you been able to do to cope and more than cope, but to thrive? Because it strikes me that you have come through what could have been a really, really difficult period, actually pretty well unscathed. I mean, you, you've got your business up and running. People believe in the Woodford brand. They're investing as much as they possibly can. People listen to you. They, they talk about you as the kind of the, the Warren Buffett of the UK in terms of your long-term view of stock and so on. What have you done to cope? How have you managed through this period and carried on doing so well? I think the key thing is that we... Sorry, go again, sorry. I, I think the key thing is that we've, we've assembled a really talented group of people. I think the vision that we had, that Craig and I had, my partner Craig and I had about what we wanted the business to look like, that, that concept has, has attracted some really good people to the organisation. And I can I can continue to focus on fund management and 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 uh, and do the thing that I'm good at, uh, freed from all the other stuff that that, that 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 I think could sort of distract me. You know, it's, you know what it's like you, when you set up a new business. You've got all sorts of stresses and strains. You've got regulatory ob- obstacles to overcome. You've got to convince people that that you're credible again. You've got to go through all that stuff again. And your ability to do that, of course, is is enhanced if you've if you if you're surrounded with a great team. And I think we've been incredibly lucky in attracting a really good team of people around us. Now, n- not everything went smoothly to start with. We, you know, we 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 didn't get everything right to start with, and we've had to correct some mistakes but i think we're now in a really good place and 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 it's just incredibly refreshing to be doing it in the environment that i'm now doing it in it's fantastic and you've created that environment it isn't in the city you kind of you've kept to the i like being outside thing and i think the calm of oxford which is where the business is based makes makes perfect sense based on your own kind of experience of what, of what that might look like You've obviously been very successful personally, um, and you've been successful for the companies that you've invested for. What's driving you beyond the money? Because it strikes me you're not necessarily driven by the money alone. Everyone, you know, we all need to make a buck. But what is it underneath all that that really gets you up and goes, you know what, I'm going to make today as brilliant as yesterday was? Well, yeah, I mean, I, I think if you're motivated by money, um, 
I think I'd have given up a long time ago. Not not because because I'm super wealthy, just because I think you know how much is enough. You know, I mean, I, I've earned more money than I ever thought I could could earn when I first started in this career. So, you know, money is not the motivation. Uh, what motivates me is is that the is that I'm incredibly competitive sort of person. Um, probably you know i've suffered from that all my life really uh when i played rugby i was probably excessively competitive and you like and that's probably, half, yeah. uh, well I, I was i was a small open side flanker so oh, okay, you know cool. I, I i used to get my head kicked in regularly but anyway <laughs> uh but i but i used to i loved the game and it taught me a lot uh, uh when i played and i miss it even now um but i've sort of carried that that competitive spirit with me um so it's it's wanting to succeed really at, at what i do wanting to excel at what I do that, that drives me on, I think. But also, mo- probably most importantly, because I really enjoy what I do. And I think if you don't enjoy it, then then don't do it and do something else. Find something that you do enjoy. And I've, and I've been incredibly lucky to, to, to sort of find myself doing a job that I really enjoyed and, and that I wanted to succeed at. Stay with me for my final chat with Neil. Plus, we'll be playing a track from the Hot 8 Brass Band. That's after the latest Traffic and Travel. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. We will stand on the banks of the river where we'll meet to part. No. That was a hot eight brass band with We Shall Walk Through the Streets of the City, and good it was too. Neil, you're with me just for a few more minutes. Um, fundamentally, much has changed. The internet wasn't around in the late 80s. Technology uh, wasn't providing data and information and so-called, and I'll use the Russell Hart inverted commas, insights. Now the playing field is very different because more people have more access to more insight, more information they've ever had before. Has that changed and had to change the way that you approach what you do? Not really, no. I think more is less uh, in, in, in some respects. You know, the, the, the problem that I have, the, the biggest problem that fund managers face is sort of filtering the noise out of the constant tre- stream of information that we, we're bombarded with. So you've got to find the pearls in all of that information, so the stuff that's really relevant. Most of it isn't relevant. Most of it is, is just noise and, and can be ignored. The problem is you've got to sort of wade through the noise to get to the really interesting stuff. Um, so processing the volume of information has become a more a more demanding task these days just because there's so much more of it around. The number of pearls is the same as before. You've just got to wade through more, frankly, rubbish to get to them. And and that becomes quite onerous, really. It, it's counterintuitive, really. I mean, the idea is that, is that the, the internet and the, the availability of information ought to have made us more productive. I think it's actually made my industry less productive. Uh, and, and this industry that you've been in for so long, and that you you look like you're as you again you see you said you've been rebooted, which is a nice way of putting it. Over that time, there must have been influential people. Now looking back, that have kind of helped you on your way. You said I didn't have a plan, and I believe you because I think lots of people that sit here chatting to me didn't have a plan. They just happened to grab what they grabbed really tightly, and they were really they focused on what they were good at. But looking back now, what have been those sage bits of advice that have stuck with you in general terms about business and about people and about relationships that now you think, actually, you know what? That makes a lot of sense now that I'm running my own place. There have been a lot of people who've influenced me over the years, um, ex-colleagues, guys I work with that have now left the industry, 
perhaps one of the most influential probably would have been Martin Arbib, who who was the chairman of Perpetual. He was a guy who employed me back in 1988. Um, he was an inspirational character, really, and uh, and and I think influenced me a lot and, uh, and influenced my whole approach to, to fund management. Um, he reminded me and, and instilled in me that the importance of focusing on the clients, you know, the client outcome is the most important thing. Um, and I think lots of fund managers sort of don't really think about that. So that's, that, that, that was really influential. You know, I, I, I just think you know, through my life, some of the most influential people, you know, have sort of f- framed me and shaped me. Mm. You know, my headmaster, for example, at my old grammar school, you know, I mean, he was just, you know, he probably remains one of my sort of lifetime heroes. And uh, he, he, he helped frame me as an individual. So, I mean, no one person in particular. I, obviously, I, I, you know, I, I, I think, for example, Warren Buffett. You know, he's he's unrivaled, unmatched in my industry, and and I think he's he he not only is he an incredible investor, but he communicates so well. He talks about what he's doing. He strips away all the unnecessary stuff, and uh, and focuses on what's really really important. And I think that's that's a lesson for all fund managers, and it's certainly been a lesson for me. So uh, people like that have, have have helped me on my journey. But um, maybe there'll be more people influencing me in the future. I mean, yeah, great chief execs. I mean, they've also there aren't many of them, by the way, but great chief execs have 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 also, I think, influenced me over the years. Well, listen, I really hope that your long term philosophy and the whole patient notion of patient capital pays off. I'm sure it will. And it sounds like you're investing in young tech businesses as well, which I think is brilliant. And obviously, more people should be doing it. You've been great. Thank you so much uh, for spending some time with me. Just before I let you go, what's your song choice and why have you chosen it? Um, it's uh, Magnolia by JJ Kale, who, uh, which I first heard when I was a student at university, and I loved it then, and I love it now. Calms me down. Here it is, especially to calm you down. Neil Wilford, thank you. That was Magnolia from J.J. Kale, the song choice of my business shaper today, Neil Woodford. He said he didn't have a plan, but boy, he took the best advantage possible of all those opportunities that were afforded to him. A proper long-term view of investing that has enabled him to get and create one of the most powerful reputations in the fund management world and someone who is inherently competitive. And I think that's what's going to keep him going and take his business and his own career to the next level. Fantastic stuff. Join me again, same time, same place. That's next Saturday, 9am for another edition of Jazz Shapers. Stay with us right now because coming up next here on Jazz FM, it's Mr. Nigel Williams. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM in partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal.